welcome back to the podcast that celebrates everything your bookish soul desires. I'm Frances Everly, and this is The Bookworm Unleashed. Now, today we're going to be talking about this amazing adventure called Those That Glow Gold. But first, I wanted to talk about um, my most recent adventure as an author in book signings. So as some of you know, I am a romance and fantasy author, and I will often go to book signings. I am Canadian author, but I have been going to a couple of American signings lately, and my latest adventure was Dreaming Dirty in Michigan. And it was amazing. I did not expect it to be half as fulfilling as an author as it was. I had a wonderful person who came and brought one of my books with her. And she had gone to Kansas City to flirty in Kansas City and had wanted me to sign her book there, but couldn't find me. So she came to Dreaming Dirty in Michigan and brought her book just to have me sign it. And that was one of the most fulfilling experiences I have had so far in my author journey. It was amazing. I've had people look come looking directly for me and asking the organizers where to find my table. It was incredible. As a new author, I did not expect that. And by new, I mean newer. I've only been published for a couple of years, but I am not new. I have a couple of books out. And it was it was fantastic. I even sold out of my latest book, Seriously Packed. That's right. I sold out. I had to have had about 10 copies of that book. And people were disappointed when I did not have any more. It was incredible. And I just wanted to thank all of the organizers for putting on that event and everybody that came out to it. It was a fantastic time. I even brought my family with me and they all loved it. So thank you for all you wonderful readers. That was the best experience I have had so far in book signings, and I can't wait to continue. I've already signed up for 2024, so here's hoping that I get off that wait list. All right, and now we're going to go into the rest of this podcast. We are here not to discuss me. We're here to discuss Those That Glow Gold by Michelle Madison. And this book was quite the adventure and it was brought to my attention by the wonderful author. So I just want to thank Michelle for reaching out and letting me read this amazing adventure. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, but I have to say, this is the first experience I've had for reading a book where I felt like I might have been too old for the book. And the reason I say that is because the main character, Krista York, is 16 which doesn't normally bother me. and But she's also four foot 11 or something like that. And because of that, it made me feel like she was more of a child character when her romance starts blooming with our other main character, Tommy Monroe. And Tommy is 
over the age of 21. We find out later that he is actually 177 years old. He is also six foot two and homeless. So those things right there were major red flags for me. Um, it made me very uncomfortable to read, not because I have had anything against the characters themselves. It was mainly because I felt Krista was more childlike and being a mom that raised red flags for me. Like nobody had a problem with this 16-year-old girl who is very tiny for her age uh, seeing this 21-ish man who's homeless and that she met as he was busking outside of her school, outside of her private school. I would have had some misgivings about it at the very least until I got to know him better. But all of her friends seemed to accept him almost immediately, which is great. But again, I would have questioned it at the very least and asked her to be careful around him. <laughs> because in this day and age, you just don't know what people are going after. Now, I did happen to end up liking Tommy very much. I really liked Tommy's character. And I love how they bonded over their love of music, specifically Paganini and classical music. He takes her out to a jazz club and sushi, and they play together at this jazz club at one point, and he introduces her to some new types of music. And it's a wonderful, beautiful friendship. But trying to make it anything more just felt like it might have been a bit forced. Just because there's too much of an age gap for me. And I was, personally, I was uncomfortable with it. But I suspect if I was reading Twilight at my age, I might have been uncomfortable with that age gap too. So this is purely a me issue, I think. Um, have any of you ever had that feeling reading a book and you're just like, I feel too old for this? Because this is my first experience with this. And I didn't think it was possible to feel like this, but I'm getting on to 40 and yeah, that was a bit uncomfortable for me. Anyway, so <laughs> the basis of the book, Krista York is 16 and she is, I'm not sure what country she's in, but in this country, they are legally considered adults at the age of 17. So maybe that made a bit more sense to the author that way. Again, for me in Canada, we don't consider our children adults until they're at least 18. So maybe if the if her character had been around the age of 18, I would have been more comfortable with it. But that's besides the point. So <laughs> Christy York has one friend. Her friend is Mary. And Mary is a wonderful, wonderful friend who looks out for Krista at every opportunity that she can. And the reason for this is because Krista is a very, very isolated and lonely girl who is 
isolated even further by her overprotective father, Joseph York. Joseph does not have any reasons for us to understand his character very well until much later in the book. It just suffice to say that he is controlling to the point where he has security around 24-7, cameras all over the exterior of the house, and we learn, learn later he has cameras inside the house. As well, he has a driver take Krista to school and pick her up every day. And she is not allowed to go to friends' houses. She's not allowed to have sleepovers or go shopping or have any of those normal kid things. Absolutely none. In fact, she gets even more isolated when... People invite her to things, and she's not able to go because her father won't let her. Popular girl Chloe teases her about this and claims that the reason she really won't go is not because her father won't let her, but because she's making excuses that she doesn't really want to go, so she's just claiming that her father won't let her. She quickly changes her tune, however, when she sees when she steals Tommy's tip jar from busking, and Krista unknowingly curses her to break every violin she touches until she returned that jar of money to Tommy. I thought that was quite amusing and incredibly, oh, very karmic. It was very karmic justice right there. Don't steal from people. I mean, God. He's out there trying his hardest to earn some money to, I don't know, eat, maybe? Or just to show off his music? You don't know what people are going through when they're out on the streets busking and doing things like that. So she she should not have stolen it, for one thing. She was just being rude and nasty. And she deserved to be cursed. And but... After Krista's friendship with Tommy develops and progresses, it's made clear to Chloe that uh, she, once she returns that jar with every dime and penny in it, that the curse will be lifted. And after, I think it's about a week of not being able to play, she returns that jar and the curse is lifted and she gets to return to the school's orchestra. Yes, the school has an orchestra, not a band, but an orchestra with assigned seating. I don't know how school bands work. I've never been in one, Um, but the fact that this school has its own orchestra of students leads me to believe that it's a fairly elite school and maybe not North American. Like I said, it's not really clear at all throughout this book where specifically uh, the characters are located or where the story is located. I just know that it's in a city somewhere in the world um, with shopping malls and parks and all that stuff. Krista gets to um, spend Thanksgiving with her friend Mary 
and her family, which is one of the few concessions that her father allows her to have. She can spend Thanksgiving and Christmas at Mary's house, and that's it. So she has a very cold, cold home life. Her father does nothing with her. She has to be there. She's either there or at school, and that's it, with the occasional sleepover at Mary's house for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And the only reason that that is allowed is because Mary's mother was best friends with Krista's mother before Krista died. Which, that poor girl's been through so much already in her young life. She needs a good friend like Mary. And a good friend like Tommy, who turns out to be a slave. Now, he is, I don't know how he became enslaved, but he wears a ring around his arm. And this ring is connected to a ring that his master wears. And if he does anything to avoid his master's orders or defy them or delay them, then it burns his skin. And the longer he's away from his master and the longer he is avoiding these commands and defying commands, the more it hurts until he eventually dies. That's the effect of the ring anyway, the ring on his, the ring around his arm, the armband. Now, he is ordered by Krista's father to become friends with her. And this is after they've already met and started becoming friends. But he is ordered to become friends with her and take her out, sneak her out of the house, put her in situations that might get her to use her powers. Powers that Krista doesn't know she has because she is completely unaware that magic is real, that magic exists, and that her father is part of a cult. (laughs) A cult that is trying to bring back an ancient magician whose magic glows gold. She lived thousands of years ago, and she not died, but was imprisoned so that she could not keep using her powers. She was very evil, this woman, who she kept making different creatures and laying waste to villages, and she was very wasteful, very evil, and tortured people. I'm not exactly sure what her end goal was. Was I guess we'll see that in the future books of this series. But suffice it to say that she was defeated and imprisoned in a psychic prison. So she does not have a body. And this becomes important for the story because these acolytes, this cult that belongs to her, is searching for a way to bring her back by putting her into somebody else's body. Now, this is why they want to know if Krista has magic 
and what color her magic is. Because apparently in this magical world, everybody's magic who has magic has a specific color. Now, purple and white are the most rare and strongest, but there's only ever been one person that's had gold magic. That is the golden one. We don't know her name. We don't know much about her, except that she was evil, and that because of the strength of her magic, she was able to do everything. She had every type of ability there was. So we later learn, as her friendship develops with Tommy, that her magic is gold. Krista's magic is gold, which makes her the ideal candidate to be sacrificed as a vessel to bring back the golden one, to help her escape her eternal bonds in this psychic prison. In fact, her father even allows her to be courted. That's right. This is the exact word that is used. Courted. By one of his brethren's nephews. And this boy, Peter, is extremely weird. Creepy. And yes, they call him creepy. He is obsessed with Krista. He wants to be with her at all times, tells everybody he's that she is his girlfriend. He learns violin so that he could join the orchestra the school orchestra with her. But he is Ugh. That is the best way I could describe him. Um he takes her shopping where she Krista quickly uses him to try and get thing get out of the house more often so things like going shopping with her friends to find a dress for her uh school symphony her christmas symphony or whatever it's called and things like that so she uses him to get out of the house with her father's blessing because as long as he's there she can go yuck right Ugh, as if his controlling couldn't get worse. Now he's telling her who she can date and who she can hang out with? Why? She uses him when Tommy starts ghosting her. She uses him to track Tommy down and go to this jazz club that Tommy had taken to her to at the beginning of the book and manages to get Tommy to start talking to her but also ends up on stage with Tommy and his band playing gypsy jazz. I've never heard of gypsy jazz. I'm not sure if this is a real thing, but I am interested to learn more about it if it is, because it sounded like so much fun. And it was it was wonderful. They had a wonderful evening, but Peter sat there sour, <laughs> sour-faced, sour puss, until he decides to storm out of the club, which was even better. I was hoping he would just leave altogether, but he didn't. He waited outside the club in the rain. (laughs) A little bit more karmic justice, justice there, if you ask me. And at the end of the evening, she gets paid by the club owner, and she get and she leaves with Peter and goes home. 
but not before getting Tommy to open up to her and they talk and they iron out all of their difficulties. So they're not, he's not ghosting her anymore. And the reason he was ghosting her is because he was being chivalrous. He felt, he claimed that he was no good for her and she should find other friends and, you know, all of that other chivalrous bullshit that <laughs> guys try to push on us sometimes. And I've had my sh- fair share of guys telling me that when I was younger. And let me tell you that that just does not work for me. I don't like this whole chivalrous, I'm no good for you bullcrap. It's, come on, we can make our own decisions, right, ladies? We can choose who we want to hang out with. And if we want to hang out with you, then you should consider yourself honored. <laughs> don't push us away. Not unless you really just don't want to hang out with us. Then be honest with us and tell us that. If you don't want to hang out with us, don't hang out with us. Don't ghost us. What's the point of ghosting us? It's not going to make us go away. Well, I guess it would make some of us go away, and I guess it makes it easier on on certain people, but it's just more immature bullcrap. It really is. It's the only thing I can think of, but also I haven't been on the dating scene in almost 20 years, so I don't know what that's really like. But I do know that when a guy tells you that he's no good for you and he's just trying to protect you, I have had that said to me. And that is bullcrap. Absolute bullcrap. So don't do it, guys. Anyway, Tommy goes on and on and on and on and on and on about how he felt like he was protecting her and all of that. And she plainly tells him exactly what I just said. I'm old enough to make my own decisions, and I'm old enough to choose who I want to be friends with, and I want to be friends with you. So stop pushing me away. It's absolutely wonderful. I loved that part. I'm like, yay, Krista, let's go, girl. And it was fabulous. And as the everything continues... Her father uses her friendship with Tommy against her by getting Peter to lure her out of his out of her house by claiming that Peter's in the park or sorry claiming that Tommy's in the park and he's hurt. So she races out of the house with Peter trying to get to this park as fast as she can to help Tommy. Not a thought to where any of the guards are, not a thought to where her father is. Or how Peter got into her house unannounced and how come nobody has noticed that she has left. I mean, there's all this security around the house, right? But not one person came to say, hey, you're not allowed to go out. What's going on here? Not one security guard, not one person. Automatic. My my spidey vibes, my spidey senses are going off here, like... What is she doing? What? This is like clearly a trap. And it was. Peter got her to the park and attacked her. And he starts beating her until she is able to fight him off using her magic. She breaks his arm. I got really excited and very happy. She broke his arm. She used her magic that she didn't know she had. 
She broke his arm and she was able to fight him off. And she sent her raven, aptly named Poe, to find Tommy. Turns out Tommy's not in the park, hurt like Peter had claimed. And he makes it to the park and helps her get away from Peter. He takes her home. Peter is there. He goes to get um, medical assistance or whatever. And he quits the orchestra at the school the next day and all this other stuff. Which is great. No more creepy Peter, except that he is apparently a main character in this book. So he doesn't go away fully. But he's no longer pretending to ick, court her. I really hate that word. It was so archaic. Like, what century are these people living in? Whose father gives permission for a man to court their daughter anymore? It's bizarro to me. Um, But again, North American culture, so please don't kill me. (laughs) Because I know that there are some cultures that um, do have things like arranged marriage. But I don't believe that arranged marriage these days works quite like this. It's more of a matchmaker situation. So this whole courting thing is very archaic. And I apologize if I offend anybody, but it is, in my opinion. And so the courting thing is over. Her father now knows about Tommy. (laughs) And she is grounded to her room. Her father takes away her dress as her punishment and locks it in another room far away and gives her an ugly pink dress to wear for her showcase. Yeah. And one night while she's sleeping, she has a dream about her mother. And her mother talks to her about magic and tells her exactly where the dress is and helps her get the dress back. Now, this is all in a dream where she manages to locate the dress in the bedroom right above her. And she sends her raven, Poe, through the ceiling of her bedroom to get to the dress and bring Poe and the dress back down to her room. Then she uses her powers to burn the pink dress, camouflage her other dress, and changes the color of the silver lacing on the dress to gold. That's quite a magical feat. There's a lot of magic happening right there, a lot of different things that she is doing. And she does it. When she wakes up in the morning, she was not expecting any of that to be real, but it was. So somehow during her dreams, she used magic to get her dress, bring it back, glamour it, and change its colors and burn another dress. So she's got a little pyromania there. I'm very impressed. And it's, so this is the night of the orchestra showcase thing that she's managed to get her dress back in time for. She leaves. Her father notices 
that she is not wearing the pink dress, and but she just does not give a damn anymore. She knows he's not going to be there. And she knows that it doesn't matter if he's there or not, because he clearly does not care for her. He has not shown one ounce of affection towards her her entire life. He has been cold towards her, overprotective, and isolating in his behavior and demeanor towards her. And I'm, I believe her new friendship with Tommy has just given her that fuck it attitude. Okay. Because she did not have the confidence to defy her father before, but now she does. She has her dress back and she has the confidence to do what she wants to do, which is defy her father and have a normal life. For her, all these years have just been one step towards gaining her independence and getting out of that house, even if it means playing music on the street to pay her bills like Tommy does, which I don't think she would take well to if she had realized that he was homeless, which she does learn during Thanksgiving, um, but that's another thing. I'm not going to go into that because I've already gone way past that scene right there. Anyway, so she goes to her orchestra showcase and it's a, she's about to do her solo on stage. She knows her father's not there, even though a seat is always saved for him. There's always a seat for him. It's always empty. She dreads seeing that empty seat. But this time when she steps out on stage, it's different. No, her father's not there. But her newfound friend, Tommy, is. And not only is he there, but he is in a suit and he is holding a dozen roses for her. She gets out on stage, she plays her solo, and he gives her those roses in the middle of the showcase. And then they go back to her performance and the performance of the rest of the showcase. And then afterwards, he takes her out and they have a wonderful evening together until she returns home. And after that, she is drugged by her father. She is grounded to her room. Food is brought to her room and every time she eats it, she falls asleep, which wouldn't be such a huge red, red flag, except that when she wakes up, it's days later, days and days. And every time it happens, a few more days pass and then a week passes. And then she, she realizes what must be happening and starts refusing to eat. So one of the I guess he's the captain, the head, the chief, whatever you want to call it, of security for this household. Comes and he starts mockingly taste testing her food for her to prove that it's not drugged. So she starts eating again. She's packed a bag. She's got her money in her bag, stuffed under her bed. She is ready to run away. There's just one problem. 
She's waiting for Tommy to come get her, and Tommy hasn't been heard or seen. He's not responding to her calls or her texts. Has he ghosted her again? Well, that did make me wonder. But he did not. In fact, he hopped on a bus to go north to find somebody who could possibly help them and help Krista escape from this fate that he knows is going to happen to her very soon if he doesn't help her. He finds this academy, this magical academy, several hours north of the city and enlists the help of a a healer to help him um, help Krista escape and protect her. The healer says that she will, and she wants to get that slave band off of him. But he refuses to take the slave band off because it's it's not about him. Again, it's the chivalrous thing here. He wants to protect Krista. And for him, this whole thing is about protecting Krista, getting her to safety, getting her away from her father and the men who have had him enslaved for a very long time. I'm He's 177, so I don't know if he's been enslaved his whole life or just like the past 50, 60 years. I'm not really sure. We don't really go into how and when he became enslaved. Um, But because he is a changeling, he is not as trusted by the magical community. In fact, he's not trusted at all by the magical community. And he is outlawed by his own kind. So wherever he goes, he can't ask his own kind for help because they attack him on sight. And... For that, we don't know why either. So hopefully that gets explored in the next books. Um, but that is where we stand. We don't know much about Tommy, except that he is a changeling. But not a changeling in the kind that I'm used to personally. Because um, I was thinking like he was a changeling, you know, like um, a fairy baby who was swapped with a human baby. But that's not what he is at all. He is part leopard, part shark, I believe. I'm kind of interested to see how this kind of mating thing happened. I'm not really sure. Um, It it goes into more detail about how changelings were created later on in the book. But I was kind of like, huh? Uh, When I read that part. And he's somehow to blame for the death of his mother. But again, we don't know why. We don't know how. We don't know very much about his life. Except that he loves music. He's always loved music. It's always been a huge part of his life. He is able to enlist the help of these wizards. And they promise to be in this park on this day um, and at this time, you know, to help get them out. Now, the night of this winter winter solstice comes. 
And Tommy is not aware of when her father plans on sacrificing her, only that he had learned that this was the eventual plan. So he is there waiting for nighttime when he learns, sorry, when he notices cars pulling up to Krista's house, one after another after another. And he knows this cult well enough to know that the only time they all get together like this is when they're about to perform a ritual or a sacrifice. Now he's got alarm bells ringing in his head and he immediately sets up to rescue Krista. Krista gets lured up to this mysterious third bedroom by a shapeshifter guy who, or a mimic or whatever he is, who pretends to be Tommy and he's there to rescue her and manages to get her up to the third bedroom by convincing her that there's a way out of the house past security where they won't be seen in this third bedroom. Except when she gets there, she realizes this guy is not Tommy at all. And there's a huge table in this room and there's all this, her father's there and the evil chief of security guy security dude whatever he is is there and they try to tie her up to this table she's fighting them off um she uses her magic actually to try and fight them off a bit they try to put her to sleep using magic that doesn't work so the head of security has uses good old chloroform to drug her and she passes out and she is tied to this table, and they start the ceremony until she wakes up. There's a knife in front of her. Her father's holding it. He's about to shove it through her heart, I'm assuming. When, boom, there's a crash and a bomb goes off. Flashbang, I believe it was. And it sends everybody to the floor. And who emerges from the smoke but the one and only Tommy. He unties Krista from the table and they make a run for it. They escape the house. They get into the park. And they are in hiding. Waiting for these people to come. They weave through alleys and this and that to try and get to this park. They get cornered by Peter and another acolyte. I think it's Peter. No, no, it's not Peter. Um, It's two different acolytes, cult members, whatever you want to call them. They get cornered by them not far from the house. And Krista manages to use her magic again to fight them off. Um, and then they manage to get to the park. And they're trying, uh, the cult members, her father's trying to locate her using scrying. Um, but he can't find her anywhere. He can't find Tommy. Tommy's not responding to his call, which means that Tommy is in pain because his, the slave band on his arm is burning him. So he is weakening, but he is still fighting it. 
he will do anything and everything he can to protect Krista. They make it to this park, but somehow her father realizes he could track her by using her raven. He's got a feather from Poe, and he uses that to track her to this park in the north end of the city. That's where he corners her. But Krista manages to use her magic to transport him back to the house. That buys her a little bit more time. But these people that are were supposed to rescue them, this healer, is nowhere to be found. Absolutely nowhere. Until Krista starts yelling for help and begging for these people who are supposed to help them to please show up. And then they do. They find them and they realize that Tommy is a changeling because he has changed into his natural form instead of his human one uh, to further protect Krista. And they take Tommy and Krista back to this academy. By this point, Tommy is no longer conscious by the time they get back to this academy. And he is in a lot of pain. And Krista's got a lot of things to answer for. It's at this academy that she discovers some of her father's crimes, which include things like murder, um, thievery, things like that. Things she never would have suspected him to be capable of until that very night. So some of the people there are very, very familiar with his crimes and wish to hold her accountable for them. They're also incredibly leery of Tommy and want to kill him because there is a history of changelings doing the bidding of evil. Because they were actually created by this Golden One. So the Golden One, we learn, actually stole human babies and somehow mixed their DNA, their genetics, with that of animals to create these changelings. You know, because she discovered creatures like orcs, They did not have the abilities that she wanted. They did not have the foresight um, or anything like that that she wanted. So she created these changelings. They're immune to magic and they can shapeshift between their natural form and a human form. And they can make themselves look like whatever they want to. And that is why... The Magical Society frowns on changelings and tends to kill them whenever they come across them. So Tommy took a huge risk asking them for help. They could have just killed him on sight, but they didn't. And I'm grateful they didn't because they were able to help rescue Krista. And now that Krista has been rescued by Tommy, and she's learning more about her powers, learning more about magic... Tommy is slipping further and further away from her. These new friends that she is making, these new allies, help protect Tommy from other 
magicians at this school who would kill him on sight and who are demanding that he be killed. Excuse me. Um, And they also help her save him. So Krista goes on one more mission. This time it's to protect Tommy and to save Tommy. He's already done it for her. So it's her turn to, to reciprocate. She and this team of misfits that call themselves the Disaster Club come up with a plan to remove the slave band on Tommy's arm. And to do that... They could do it in a couple of different ways. They could kill her father and steal the ring, but then Tommy is still a slave. They could, uh, what was the other thing? Oh, yes. Her father could willingly give her the ring, which, again, Tommy would still be a slave. Or they could use magic that requires the blood of her father to make it work to get rid of this slave band. So that is what they decide to do because Tommy doesn't deserve to be a slave. So they contrive this plan to break back into her house, put everybody to sleep and steal some blood from her father. And once they do that, they get back and they write an incantation all over the band on his arm. And the band melts away from his skin, revealing lots and lots of scars underneath it. Burns, presumably, from other times that he has tried to defy his commands. It's really rather tragic. I really hate reading about slavery. I guess I should have put a a trigger warning at the beginning of this. I apologize for anybody if that's a sensitive topic. I should have thought about that sooner. Um, Anyway, he wakes up and he's no longer slave and he's happy because they are safe. They are loved. They are able to be together within the confines of the disaster club. Tommy chivalrously offers to leave again but nobody's having it and pretty much he's called out for it so i am very grateful for that and he decides to stay because krista has no friends at this place she knows pretty much nobody except for the members of the disaster club and she will be ostracized because of her familial relationships like I said, her father is a, a is a wanted criminal in the magical community for the crimes that he has committed. And many of the students there, and I assume some of the staff even, have also either been victims of his crimes or have been uh, family and friends to those who have been victimized by him. So there is no love lost for Joseph York. And it is made, it is pointed out to Tommy that she is going to need him even more while she learns to use her powers and to control them because she is going to need his friendship. And so 
he decides to stay after all to protect her. He is given a special permission from the head of this academy to stay with her so long as he, you know, doesn't do anything bad or evil or anything like that. Because his own crimes were the effects of his enslavement, products of his enslavement. So they are being generous with the belief that he might not have committed these crimes if he hadn't been enslaved. So they're giving him the benefit of a doubt here. And here's hoping he lives up to it because it is very clear that he has a great love for Krista. There is a relationship blooming here. They call each other friends and best friends. I think it will develop into something more as the series progresses. Um, but I do kind of hope that it's as Krista is older <laughs> and a little bit wiser about the world. Um, although she has gotten quite the education about the world around her in a very short amount of time. So I'm hoping for her. I'm praying they have a great relationship, that they don't have any more um, troubles from her father. But you know there will be because they want to bring back this golden one and release her from her prison. And the only one they believe they can use for that is Krista and her gold magic because she is the only one that's been born with it since the Golden One's imprisonment. That's right. 2,000 years with no gold magic. It's quite the feat. It's quite rare indeed. Now, next week, I or next podcast, I should say, I will be reading Morning Glory Milking Farm by C.M. Nacosta. I'm excited for this book. I saw it at Dreaming Dirty as some people were walking by with copies of it and I got really excited. I was hopping up and down because I'd heard so much about this book and I'm excited to read it. So stay tuned for the next podcast where we will explore the Morning Glory Milking Farm. I'll see you soon. Have great time, and thank you for joining me, Bookworms. Let's do-